Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church Podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and His church, grow in faith and understanding of God's Word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Let me pray for us and we're going to begin. Father, we thank you for the opportunity, Lord, that you've given us to gather together, Lord, to open up the truth of your word. We're thankful for this time of worship, Father, for the way in which you've uh, prepared our hearts now to receive your word. I pray you would speak very clearly now to us as we study and understand. May we be challenged, uh, transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles open to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to get to the sword here in just a second. I'm going to explain it. For those of you that were not with us last week, it's got a very specific meaning. But I want to encourage and remind you, uh, if you have not already heard or uh, maybe aren't quite sure what's going on, on the 13th of September, we are opening up all of our small groups again. Okay, So birth all the way through adults. So that students, children, preschool, adult ministries, uh, everything will start back on the 13th of September, 9.30 worship service and Sunday school. We're changing the hour, that first one, 11 o'clock worship service and Sunday school. And more will come out. In fact, we worked last week on a video we're going to put out that gives you some specifics about what that's going to look like and how you can be prepared. But we just pray that you would uh, uh, be part of that. Uh, join us back. We want to welcome you if you're at home watching us. So glad you could join us. Uh, on the, the marvelous technology of the world now that we can uh, from really from anywhere in the world watch this service. We've got a lot of people around different parts of our state that are watching this and even different parts of our country. And we're thankful for that. If you're in the fellowship hall for overflow, thank you for doing that, for volunteering to step out here to provide a little more space. And for those of you that are live, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Uh, I started a series last week entitled The Sword of Truth. Uh, and it really came from this place in my heart of concern. I talked a little bit about this last week, and I'm going to tell you again this week and, and help, help you hopefully understand kind of where I'm coming from and why this matters. But the pandemic has caused all of us to think differently about a lot of things. And we've been forced to do things we've never done before and, and kind of get used to the new normal, I guess, whatever that looks like. But one of the things that was uh, pretty clear to me early on in the process is that because of what happened with people staying at home and what happened with churches, People were very reliant on what we do here on Sunday morning. And, and by the way, we're going to continue to do this. This is a scriptural mandate for us to meet together. Hebrews talks about that. It's very clear. Uh, nobody's trying to change what we do on Sunday morning. But I became more and more concerned that people were very, very reliant on me to teach them the Word of God, on our praise team to lead them in worship. And, and by the way, we've got a phenomenal team of people up here on a regular basis uh, they work very hard to lead you in praise and worship. But I was just concerned, like, what, what would happen if, if this happened again? Like, imagine at some point in the future, if another pandemic hit or, or something maybe far worse, we couldn't meet together, if for whatever reason we couldn't log in, what would it look like for you in your home or maybe in your neighborhood on a Sunday morning if you couldn't listen to me preach or anybody else for that matter preach? Or you couldn't receive praise, praise and worship? Are you prepared are you able, are you equipped to be able to lead your family in a time of worship and a time of Bible study? 
Are you equipped to be able to lead your neighborhood in a time of worship, in a time of Bible study? Are you equipped to lead a small group? And so I, I just thought our, our churches, by and large, in the Western world especially, are very centralized. It starts at the top and kind of funnels down from there to everybody else. That's very different than the models in other parts of the world. Like when we go to places like uh, South uh, Asia or places in Africa out in the bush or even parts of Guatemala, one of the things that we talk a lot about with our teams and that our missionaries really kind of indwell in our minds is the idea of reproducibility. Anything I do in a village in uh, South Asia or in the bush of Africa has to be reproducible. Here's what I mean by that. If I show up to this village to teach them and I've got to have a projector and a laptop and handouts for everybody to study and learn, that's not reproducible. They can't go to the next village and take a laptop and a projector and handouts. And so we're very mindful of what we teach them. Can they take that and use it somewhere else? And so the model that I taught you last week The sword method is very reproducible. It's very easy for us to learn. It's very easy for us to take and and apply in our own lives, in our own homes, in our places of business, school, wherever the Lord may lead. And so at some point in the future, if we have to decentralize everything we're doing as a local church, we can survive as believers. We can still lead in worship in our homes. We can still lead in Bible study. And so I taught you last week a method, and this is my favorite part of the whole sermon right here. Shing! Thank you. Thank you for that. So I taught you a method. Somebody asked me last week, why didn't it make the sound when it comes out? Well, I don't know. It just doesn't sound like that. I wish it did. I thought about piping it in, but that'd be kind of fake. So this is a method I taught you last week that's very simple based on a sword, right? Hebrews 4.12, let me read it for you. For the word of God, that's God's word, is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So I taught you this real simple model with these questions. And so if you're new, if you didn't hear any of this last week, I'm going to go all through it again. If you heard it last week, hopefully you've already done it a little bit and practiced a little bit, but there's simple questions you can ask of any passage of scripture. So you take any verse, any group of verses, any chapter in the Bible, you can use the sword method. Here's the first question. We have it on the screen. The first question we ask What can I learn about God, right? We think about a sword. When I hold a sword, the point is up facing the Lord, right? So the first thing I'm gonna consider when I take a look at any passage of scripture, what can I learn about God? What can I learn about the Lord? So as I read through this text, what is it teaching me about God? That's question number one. Second question, what can I learn about man, right? I'm holding the sword. What can I learn about man? What can I learn about God? What can I learn about man? Question number three, what can I learn about sin? Is there anything that the Bible teaches me in these few verses about sin? Question number four, is there anything I can learn about obedience, right? So God, man, sin, obedience, right? I've taught this model in numerous places in different parts of the world, and I always get the same response. Man, this is such a simple model. It's so easy to reproduce, right? You don't have to have a sword. It's cool if you do. But if you don't have a sword, this still works fine. I can go to any place in the world, whether it's your living room or the bush of Africa or a village in South Asia, I can take a look at any passage of Scripture and ask those four questions. God, man, sin, obedience. There's a fifth question that we ask. What's the main idea of the passage? Right? What's the main uh, content that the Lord's trying to share with me? And then last question, how can we apply this to our lives? 
right? God, man, sin, obedience. What's the main idea? How can I apply this to my life? So you can take this model using this sword method. You can apply it to any passage of scripture. You can apply it to one verse, 10 verses, 50 verses, however the Lord leads you. You would read through it. You would ask these questions. You would lead your family or friends or whomever in a discussion of these verses. Now, I gave you last week some homework, and I know school's just starting back, and y'all are not real down with homework right now, right? How many students have homework over the weekend, by the way? Look at that. We're back, right? Yes. You just thought you were ready for school to start back, right? We're excited to be back, but homework's part of that, right? I have to learn and work and study. And I gave you a little bit of homework last week. If you weren't here, that's okay. You're not going to miss anything. But I challenge you. I gave you the passage of Scripture in Colossians, and I said, listen, I want you to take this home, use it this week with your family, right? You can read through it, study through it, spend some time as a family discussing it every night. Just use the sword method. Now, for us, I don't know about you, but our family has uh, used this opportunity as kind of a reboot for us. And here's what I mean by that. When our kids were real little, Amy and I kind of committed to having this time every night of prayer with our family. Since our oldest daughter, Gracie, was just a little baby, we have always gathered together as a family. Now, it's not 100%. Some nights we're not able. But the vast majority of the time growing up, in the evenings right before bed, we gather our family. So that just kind of continued as the kids got a little older. We'd always have this time of prayer. We'd sit around in the living room. We'd always have a time of prayer. Sometimes we'd all pray. Sometimes I'd ask somebody to pray. Sometimes I would pray. Sometimes we'd read the Bible. Sometimes we'd study or memorize. Sometimes we'd just talk. There's just an opportunity for us to gather together as a family to kind of finish out our day, have some prayer together, go to bed. Well, COVID just kind of threw all that into a tailspin, right? Schedules were off. Everything was different, weird. So Amy and I kind of used school starting back as a reboot. And I said to her, listen, once school starts back, we're going to get back into this habit We're going to make sure that we meet every night as a family so we're all busy doing our own things. For us, and it's different for every family, you do it however it works for you. At 9.30 p.m., 9.30, our family gathers in our living room. And we get together and we spend some time in prayer, study, whatever it looks like. So I've been using the sword method with our family. And so last week, Monday night, I guess, or we maybe even done it Sunday night. I don't remember the first night we did. We opened up Colossians 1, and we just read through it, and we started asking these questions. We started thinking through this together. I've been amazed this week, and we did it three or four nights this week. I've been amazed at the discussion that has been generated with our family just by asking these questions, right? Now, I didn't spend hours and hours in prep work before I sat down with them and read through this text. I simply started at question number one, talked about it, we read through it, and had great discussion as a family. So what I'm going to do this week and for the next several weeks, I'm going to model the sword method for you. I'm going to preach every sermon for the next many weeks based on these questions. And I'm doing that for one simple reason. I want you to understand how simple it is and how useful it can be in your home. Right, And so when we finish this, at some point in the future, I hope you walk away going, man, that's a pretty easy method I can sit down with my family. Uh, Man, I could sit down with a group of guys or ladies at work around the lunch table. Uh, I could sit at lunch at school. All sorts of different opportunities for me to use this model to teach God's word. So let's just jump right in this morning. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we're just going to go through these questions together. Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. I'm gonna give you a little hint. We're talking about Jesus here. I'm gonna prove that to you scripturally in just a second. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, I want to kind of walk through this passage of Scripture. We're going to do it very simply. I'm going to model it for you. I'm going to show you how you could do this, how you can kind of take the initiative in your home, walk through these questions, lead your family in the sword method. Wanda, I don't have the time on the screens. If you could pop that up for me, whoever's running that, so I can make sure I'm staying on time here. Here's the first question. Let's pull that first question up for us. This is a sword method. We're going to use it for Colossians chapter one. What do I learn about God? Right now, let me just go ahead and clue you in here. When we talk about God, we could talk about God, the Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, right? All those are included in this process. When I talk about God, it could be God, the Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Now, in this passage of Scripture, we're specifically talking about Jesus, right? And I'm going to clue you into that. If you were to look back in the first couple of verses, I don't have this on the screen, but Colossians 1, beginning in verse 13, this is just a little bit of context, so you know what it means here. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, right? So we're talking about Jesus. This whole section is about Jesus, who is fully God, by the way. I'm not gonna go into the whole idea of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Holy Spirit, all fully God, you understand that, right? All fully God, yet distinct persons, three in one. That's a triune God. So we're talking about Jesus. So this first question, what can I learn about God? I could be more specific in this and I could say, what can I learn about Jesus? Now, here's the way I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you the list. This is not exhaustive. This is just a list I come up with. This is the list we kind of talk through as a family that you can learn about Jesus just in these first few verses of Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15. Okay, pull that list up, please. If you got your Bibles, you can kind of check along with me as we go. Here's what you can learn about God just in these few verses. You can learn that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That's verse 15. You can see that he's the firstborn of all creation, also verse 15. You can see that all things were created by him, through him, for him in verse 16. You can see that he is before all things, verse 17. You can also see that in him all things are held together, verse 17. Now, just a side note here, I'm not going to spend a lot of time going into this, but it's pretty clear in these first few verses that Jesus, and we know this from other passages of Scripture, it's pretty clear that Jesus is fully God here, right? This is who we're talking about, right? He's the image of the invisible God, firstborn. All things were created through him. All things are before him. He holds all things together. Jesus is fully God. Now, I'm getting these right out of the text. Like, I'm not consulting a commentary or going into any in-depth study to learn these things. They're right there in the text. Verse 18, he's the head of the church, right? Again, in verse 18, he's in the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's preeminent. 
Verse 19, all the fullness of God dwells fully in him. Verse, not, verse 20, he's reconciled all things to himself through the cross. So th- there's a pretty substantial list right out of this text that we can learn right now about Jesus. Like this didn't require us to do any, any in-depth study. This didn't require us to read any commentaries. This required us very simply to open up the word of God, read through the text, ask and answer one question. That's all it was. Now you can imagine if with your family or a group of people at work or a group of people at school or whatever that looks like for you, you can imagine how this could generate some incredible discussion. Like you could take any one of these with your family at home as an example or, or, or friends at college or whatever. You take any one of these and ask questions about it. Like Jesus is the image of the invisible God. What does that even mean, the invisible God? What do we mean Jesus is the image of the invisible God? What, what do we mean that he's before all things? What do we mean that all things are held together in him? Right? You, you can imagine how this could generate great discussion as a family. Right? I was amazed with my family how when we went through this process, the questions that came from this, the discussion that came from this, the ease of this, just kind of walking through these verses and having this conversation with our family. And we sat there and 20 or 30 minutes later, I realized we've been having a fairly in-depth conversation about who Jesus is based right out of the text. Not based on any amount of study that any of us have done, right? It's a simple, easy process. But I'm going to challenge you now to do something. I'm going to challenge you to kind of stay, take a step beyond, right? You can very simply just walk through these questions, walk through the text, answer the question, and lead in discussion. That's an easy way to do it. You can do that and spend literally hours. But I'm going to challenge you, and this is why I want to preach these sermons each week. I'm going to give you kind of the simple version, the, the first step, and I'm going to challenge you in homes, maybe with your kids or at work or wherever, to go one step deeper. And here's the way I'm going to challenge you to do that. I'm going to challenge you to pick one of those things and spend a little time studying it a little bit more. But I'm not asking you to put 50 or 60 hours into it. I'm not asking you to spend a week or two in, in depth study and having to take time off from work. I'm just asking you maybe one morning early or one afternoon late or whenever you can carve out 30 minutes or an hour, take one of those ideas, let's delve into it just a little bit more. You say, that's great, man, I like that. There's, there's one of these that I really like or there's one I had a question about or there's something I've always wondered. That's a good idea. I wanna delve a little bit more into that. But you're thinking, I'm not quite sure how to do that, right? So how do I go from just reading it right out of the text and listing it and then discussing it to kind of the, the next step of depth, right? What kind of resources you're asking can I use? Because I don't have access to a theological library. I don't have all these books at home to study from. How can I go deeper in my understanding? I'm going to give you some very practical, very simple resources you can use to, to just take one step farther along in this process. Here, pull the first one up. One of the best resources you can use is a good study Bible. Now, I've listed the ESV study Bible. I preach out of the ESV. That's the translation that I use. But there are other good study Bibles. I bet almost every person in here already owns a study Bible. All a study Bible is, basically, is it's got the Bible and then down at the bottom, it's got some commentary written in. That's it. It's pretty simple. Just a, a cursory glance at a Bible study or a, a study Bible and the commentary at the bottom will help you better understand those verses. That's one simple way you can do it. You probably already own a study Bible, right? Go to the next resource. The internet, go ahead and pull those up. The internet, as you well know, is filled with all sorts of things. Some really, really bad, some really, really good. 
And you may not know this, but there are all sorts of commentaries, there are all sorts of study materials available online. I'm going to give you four that I use a good, good bit. PreceptAustin.org, phenomenal. Like when I was first learning to preach and first kind of getting involved many, many years ago before I had the resources that I have now available to me, I used that website almost exclusively to study. Chock full of commentaries, books, uh, anything you want to know about these verses, you can spend as little time or as much time on Precept Austin as you want to. If you're a Sunday school leader, by the way, great resource for you. DesiringGod.org, that's John Piper's website. Those of you that are familiar with Piper and his writings and what he's done, fantastic opportunity there for you to read. Gospel Coalition, great articles written usually to events that are taking place in our time, but there are a lot of commentary type things available on that website as well. And then Bible.org. Right, you, you probably already know this if you're savvy with the internet, but let's just use Colossians 1. Let's say Colossians 1, you want to learn more about Colossians 1, but you want to see what all is on Bible.org. You go to Google or whatever search engine you want to use. Colossians 1, semicolon, right? Not colon, semicolon, which is the dot and the comma, Bible.org. So Colossians 1, semicolon, Bible.org. That will take you to every site on Bible.org that's about Colossians chapter 1. And you can do that with any search, by the way. That semicolon, you can search one specific website. So if you want to say, listen, what's available on Precept Austin or Desiring God or Bible.org, type those in. And then the semicolon with the website, it'll take you to that website. Tons of resources. Okay, so I've given you study Bibles. That's really easy for you to use. I've given you online resources. If you want to go even farther, you say, listen, I really have enjoyed what I've learned. I'd like some more depth. You're welcome to borrow any of the books that I own. I'm, I'm happy to let you borrow commentaries, other study Bibles. If you want to take it home and study it and use it, if you need that resource, I'm happy to let you do that. And so I'm going to now walk you through just for a few minutes here. I'm going to walk you through what I did this week, right? So pull that main list back up, if you would, the questions about God. Right, if we're going to say every week we're going to go in and we're going to ask these questions, the first one, what I learned about God in the list with all the verse numbers. Pull that one up for me, please. If we're going to think about all these different verses we can use, what we can learn about God, and we're going to pick one, I'm now going to show you the one that I picked. Because I read through this passage of Scripture with my kids, and I'd read it already in advance, and there was one that really kind of stuck out to me that was interesting. So pull up Colossians 1, I think 15 and 16 are together. Colossians 1, really verse 16 is what I want to show you, but this is the one that stuck out to me. So, so we've already done the very simple, here's what we've learned about God a lot of discussion about those specific things. Then I'm going to pull one thing out personally that I want to study a little bit more. Here's what it was, verse 16. For by him, this is Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. By the way, just imagine the discussion when you say to your family, your Bible study, what do you mean all things that are visible and invisible? Like I get what he created that was visible, but what did he create that was Invisible. That there's a, you've already generated now some thoughts and discussions, right? Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. By the way, what, what a great time to have a discussion with your kids. Hey, you know what, kids? Uh, our country and the leaders and the presidential election and all the different uh, elections coming up in November, all those are governed by the Lord, right? We understand that, right? Because that's what scripture says, right? He created this, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, right? He's in control of all that. He created all those things. Great discussion. Great discussion with your family. Now, here's the thing that was interesting to me. All things were created through him and for him. Those last three words were, were fascinating to me. 
All things were created through him and for him. And so we started thinking about this as a family. We started talking a little bit about this. What does it mean that God created all things for him? Right, as you start reading scripture, this is where some commentaries could be helpful for you, where a little bit of extra study, if you want to go one step further, what you begin to see scripturally is that everything God created, he created it for his own glory. Right? Everything God created, he created for his own glory. He created through him and for him. So we see passages of scripture like Habakkuk 2.14. Listen, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Right? Not, not a little bit of his glory. The earth will be filled with his glory. Isaiah 60 chapter 1, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon us. Romans 11.36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Psalm 29, verse 3, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory of the Lord thunders and the Lord over many waters. Like time and time again, we read these passages of Scripture that talk about the glory of the Lord. And what we begin to see is we kind of study through Scripture. And again, just take one step in depth there. We're not spending hours and hours studying. We begin to see that everything in the world was created for the glory of God. I had the opportunity several years ago to spend some time in Amsterdam. Anytime we go to South Asia, we, you, you can't just, well, you can, but it's a long flight. We usually fly about halfway. Right? Halfway to South Asia is somewhere in Europe. So we usually fly to Amsterdam, or we've flown through Paris a few times or different spots, and we usually have a layover. And this particular time, we spent the night in Amsterdam, so we had the opportunity to walk around. Amsterdam's a beautiful city. The canals are beautiful. The architecture is beautiful. Amsterdam is, is one of the most beautiful cities I've ever been in, and frankly, one of the most corrupt. I mean, the things that legally happen there are um, very, very different and, and very difficult for us to understand as believers. And so we had the opportunity to tour around, talk to some church planters, kind of see how the Lord was working in that city. But one of the things we did is went to the major museums, right? And there's a lot of art in that city and a lot of famous painters and a lot of sculptures. And, and I saw this painting. Pull the picture of that painting up, if you would, for me, please, by Rembrandt. Rembrandt is a very famous artist. This is called Night Watch, or I think that's the, the, the shortened name. I think it's officially got a much longer name. This painting hangs in one of the museums in Amsterdam. It's really about 12 feet tall and 14 feet wide. It's a massive painting. Very beautiful. And it's displayed on a very prominent wall, and they've got some, some guards out there, and I think some, uh, you know, some sort of a barrier. And people just kind of stand out in this big atrium and, and look at it. It's a beautiful picture, well-known. If you have any sense of history or, or art history especially, you've probably seen that picture. Maybe you're familiar with it. Here, here's the thing you need to understand about this picture. This kind of goes without saying, but I'm going to make the connection for you here in a second. Everything about this picture Rembrandt decided on, right? He decided on the colors, he decided on the subjects. He decided on the, one of the things about this picture is the shading, the light and the darkness. You can see he highlighted certain things with light and then hid certain things in the darkness, right? That's all part of his process that he chose. He chose who to light, who to put in the dark, what colors to use, what scene to paint. He chose how big it should be painted. And so every time we see this painting, anybody that knows anything about history or art, whenever we see this painting, we credit Rembrandt with this. It was completely his idea, right? So the connection for us is kind of like that with the Lord. 
Whenever we look around, whatever we see, things that are visible, things that are invisible, things that are in heaven, things that are in earth, all those things were God's idea, right? He made the decisions. He spoke everything into existence. He decided the colors and the sounds and the beauty. And when we see his creation, it brings glory to him. Everything about the world should bring glory to the Lord. Now, here's where the rubber meets the road for you, right? It's one thing for us to look at a sunset and proclaim the glory of the Lord. It's easy for us to walk out on on a dark, starry night and maybe see the Milky Way and proclaim the glory of the Lord. But Isaiah 43, 7 says this, Everyone who's called by my name, right, that's you as a believer. Everyone who's called by my name, watch, whom I created for my glory. God created all of the earth, including you, for his glory, right? You see that? Now imagine how this discussion could go with your family. God created you for his glory, right? So what are you doing to live out the glory of the Lord? How how are you showing other people his glory? How are you modeling that glory in the world? Now here's how the discussion goes. This was great for our family. It generated great discussion. The kids were thinking and asking questions. We got to this point about everything created for the glory of the Lord. And one of my kids said, didn't God create us because he loved us? That's a great question. Because I'm saying, listen, the essence of our creation is the glory of the Lord. And one of my kids is saying, listen, I get that, but didn't he create us because he loved us? That's a great question. Now watch, I I didn't ask them to think about this. I simply presented them with the word of God and a couple of questions, and their minds are working through this. Now, you see how this works? See how beautiful the sword method is, how it gets us to this point? And I said, listen, God does love us very much, but ultimately everything was created for his glory, right? Everything's created to bring him glory. And then one of my kids said, and they're just thinking through this a little bit, doesn't that make him kind of prideful? It's a good question. Like if God just wants us to look at him and go, whoa, you're amazing, worthy, glory, doesn't that kind of make him prideful? Great discussion. And I said, well, what's the definition of pride? Pride typically is when we think higher of ourselves than we ought to, right? That's pretty much the definition of pride. If I'm prideful in a sinful way, I'm thinking that I'm better than I actually am. That's what pride is, right? So I said to my kids, listen, is God who he says he is? Yeah. Is he the creator of all things? Yeah. Is he the greatest being in all the universe? Yeah then by definition, can he be prideful or can he just be truthful? Because everything he says about himself isn't pride, it's truth. You see that? Because he is, to use modern slang, the goat, right? Right, we get that. In the greatest sense of the word, he's the goat. He's the greatest of all time. Nobody is greater than him. So he did create us out of love and he sent Jesus down the cross for our sins. But everything we do is to bring him glory. Now imagine how that changes the discussion now about what you do at school tomorrow. Imagine how that changes your outlook at work. Imagine how that changes how you speak to your spouse or to your children or how you interact with your boss or one of your employees, right? If we're created by God for his glory, it changes the way we think, it changes the way we act, it changes the way we live. Now listen, bring that first question back up with those those main points from that verses. Listen, I'm almost done with my time. We've just got through one question. 
Like now, I spent a little bit of extra time in study. I picked that one thing to go a little bit deeper and I kind of talked about our experience as a family. But you can see how that one question, answering those, leading to discussion, how it can, how can generate just so much time of thinking and talking. And all of a sudden, you're in a spiritual conversation with your children maybe you've never been in before. All of a sudden, you're in a spiritual conversation with a coworker or a spiritual conversation with a boss or a friend at school or somebody that you play baseball with or whatever the case may be, it's a very simple model you can take and apply and use and then allow the Lord to kind of work in your heart and mold and shape and, and move that discussion to learn more and more about him. Now, I'm, I'm winding down on time, but give me a few minutes because I want to just kind of go through these other questions. Again, I'm just presenting you with this model. The first question, what I learned about God. Go to question number two. What I learn about man. Well, listen, I've read these already, so I'm just going to kind of point out to you what you can learn. Pull that list up, right? I'm just pulling these right out of the text. This requires no study, requires no extra time. It requires me opening God's word, asking the question, what I learn about man. Verse 21, he was once alienated and hostile in mind. Verse 21, doing evil deeds, right? Imagine the discussion you can have with your family or coworkers. What does it mean to have evil deeds, what does it mean to be hostile to God, right? We have been reconciled to God through Christ, verse 22. We're holy and blameless above reproach because of Christ, verse 22. We should continue in the faith, verse 23. We should be stable and steadfast, not shifting, verse 23. All these things we can learn about man simply by opening the truth of his word. Simply by asking and answering these questions, simply by leading our family or other people in a discussion about the things of the Lord. I'm going to pick one again because this was interesting to me, right? I'm going to pick one. I'm just kind of modeling this for you. So I've kind of read the text, asked the question, answered the question, great discussion. I'm going to pick one now that I want to delve into. And this is something you'd have to do in advance or maybe you could do next week. And by the way, let me just kind of uh, alleviate some of your fears here, right? Some of you are probably thinking, listen, I get it. The model is good. I can do that. Yeah, I can ask that question. Absolutely. I can walk through these verses and answer those questions. I can do that. I'm confident you say I can do those things. But here you go. You say, my fear is when I get to a certain point and somebody in my Bible study or one of my kids or a coworker asks me a question I don't know the answer to, right? What do I do in those moments? There's a real simple answer for you in those moments. You say the magic words, I don't know. Oh, okay. We just move on. It's that simple, right? And you say to them, listen, I don't, I don't know the answer. That's a great question. I don't know it, but I'd love to take some time to find it out. And so before the next time we meet, I'm going to go search the answer. Or if you really want to play the professor and really want to teach, you say, that's a great question. Would you mind before we meet again, researching and finding the answer to that question? And when we come back together, you answer it, right? You're, you're putting some ownership in their lap of this Bible. So that's the way to do it, right? But it's okay to say, I don't know. One of the things I looked at when we were walking through this passage of Scripture is verse 22. Pick, pick up Colossians 1, verse 22. This is what I want to delve into the second, right? And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he's now reconciled in his body of flesh by death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Right? I wanted to go a little bit deeper with my family and think about this idea of being holy and blameless and above reproach before the Lord. You say, that's a great thing, man. I'd love to be holy 
and blameless and above reproach, but I'm not quite sure what that looks like. I'm not sure, sure how to do that, how that happens, what, what takes place uh, with the Lord in order to make that happen. Well, the Bible tells us right here, right? He, that's Jesus, has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. All right, so the Bible teaches us very simply that when Jesus dies on the cross, this is an important distinction for us, when Jesus dies on the cross, his righteousness, his holiness His blamelessness is placed upon us, right? So when the Lord looks at us, praise the Lord, he doesn't see Adam and all of my sin and all of my failures and all of my baggage and all of my mistakes. He instead sees the blood of Christ and his sacrifice for me that covers all of that and I'm offered forgiveness and then I'm presented holy and blameless above reproach. Not because of anything I've done, but because of everything Christ has done for me. You see the picture there? It's a great reminder of his glory, of his sacrifice. It leads us to this place of praise and worship. By the way, husbands, just a little side note, if you're watching from home, husbands as well, Ephesians chapter five, 22 through 33, you should read it with your wife. It's in my opinion, the the greatest passage of scripture that teaches us kind of the roles we're supposed to be doing in a marriage. When I do premarital counseling, we always start in Ephesians five, that's the first session, 22 through 33. One of the things it says in there is husbands are to present their wives to the Lord as holy and blameless without stain or wrinkle. It's the same sort of verbiage that Paul uses here, right? It's the responsibility of the husband in the home to present the wife and I would argue his family to the Lord holy and blameless. Our job as husbands is to teach and train and lead our families to Christ so when they're presented to the Lord, they do so without stain or wrinkle. They're holy and blameless and above reproach. So husbands, your, your job isn't just to bring home the bacon or to cut the grass or whatever it is you do at home. All those things matter. Your job is to lead your wife and to lead your family in the things of the Lord. All right, that's what we learn about man. Let's go to the third question. I'm, I promise I'm gonna do these last few very quickly. What I learn about sin, right? Is there sin to be avoided? Pull those up very quickly. Verse 21, sin alienates and separates us. Sin makes us hostile to the things of God. Sin leads us to do evil things. Go to the fourth one. What am I supposed to obey? Pull those up. Verse 23, we must continue in the faith, steady and stable, not shifting from the gospel, right? And so again, I don't have time to go into these, but you could see the discussion Imagine having this discussion with your family. What does it mean to be stable and steady, not shifting from the gospel? What what does that mean when you're in a group of friends at school and somebody says or does something they're not supposed to do? Man, we need to be steady in that moment, don't we? We need to be stable in that moment. We don't need to shift from the gospel. What does that mean when we're at work and somebody degrades the name of Christ? What what does that mean when when somebody makes a decision in our world that's anti what scripture teaches, right? We're steady in that. We're not shifting from the gospel. We're standing on the firm foundation of Christ. We've built our lives upon it. The world sees it. And when we're steady and stable, not shifting, it makes a difference in the world, right? That's what we're supposed to obey. That's how we're supposed to live. So much discussion, so many good points, so many things we could talk about with our families. I'm gonna challenge you and encourage you, use this model. I'm gonna preach like this the next several weeks just to model this for you, just to show you this is possible, this is doable. So, and we pray it never comes to this point, but if one day it does, where this is no longer available to us, much like it is in a lot of parts of the world, by the way. Like if you lived in certain parts of Asia right now, what we're doing right now would not be legal, okay? Just let that sink in for a minute. 
So if it ever got to the point where we couldn't do this, you will be equipped in your homes if necessary with just your families to lead them in studying God's word, to present them to the Lord holy and blameless. Now, homework for next week. Again, this is what I'm gonna do. Go ahead and pull that verse up. I want you to read this passage of scripture for next week. Use the sword method. So go home tonight or tomorrow night or Wednesday, Thursday, whatever it looks like for you or two or three nights. Work through this passage of scripture, answering those six questions. Next week, I'm gonna preach through it. We'll see how the Lord leads us. Let me pray for us now. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the ability to study your word. We thank you for the sword method, Lord, for this model that's really simple for us to understand, very easy for us to use. Father, I pray that we would just take this seriously. Be an opportunity for us to grow in our faith, to lead our families, maybe start Bible studies at at work or at school or wherever you lead us. Help us to be faithful, steady, never turning from the gospel, Father. Recognizing your glory and your majesty in our lives. Use us for the sake of your kingdom. We'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.